in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. People often ask me how the world ended, whether it was with a bang or with a whimper. And all I can say is, first they came for the drive-ins and nobody said anything. Next, they took the arcades and still, folks stayed silent. Then it was the video rental establishments, the record shops, and the toy stores. And still, they said nothing. By the time they got to the local comic book shops, there were no nerds left to say anything. Except for us! We're the last comic shop, raging against the dying of the light, sending our broadcasts back into the days of futures past in hopes that our comic book reviews might alter this cold, gray reality in which comic shops are nothing but a long-forgotten memory. So heed our words and go to your local comic shop. Pick up either of the book we'll be reviewing today or any number of countless comic book treasures before, before it's, it's too, too late. late. And I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and welcome back to another week of The Last Comic Shop. Thank you for tuning in to our broadcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Smith. So, Chad, on today's program, we're going to be actually talking about a comic book crossover. Uh, It's a recent one that was done over the X-Books. It is a Ten of Swords for those folks that didn't pay attention to the title of the podcast that they just started listening to. Mm. Yes, this is Ten of Swords by Jonathan Hickman and a lot of other folks. Uh, but it is uh, the first of the major signposts on Jonathan Hickman's X-Men Road that he's started with a House of X and Powers of Ten about uh, a year a year or so ago. Uh, I thought that we'd start off today's program by getting our thoughts about crossovers in general. Uh, and whether they're good for comics, whether they're bad for comics, what are your thoughts on them, Chad? Well, there has been the occasional time during a crossover where I'm exposed to a new book. And the one in particular I'm thinking of is just a two-issue, you know, back and forth between Howard the Duck by Chip Zdarsky and Squirrel Girl. that made me pick up my first issue of Squirrel Girl for the rest of the story. That I was a fan of. Marvel has been overdoing it for, geez, the last 10, 15 years, everything since uh, Civil War. It becomes a big crossover every year, and that... It can be good. It also can be convoluted garbage. Uh, It just depends on the event. Yeah, I mean, it it was one of those things where I feel like the folks that were like a generation before us in terms of comic book dumb, they weren't like exposed to a lot of crossovers like we were. For us folks and, and grew up in the comic books in the late 80s and early 90s, boy, were crossovers just shoved down our throats. And we were just made to just buy tons and tons of crap so it really kind of jaded me to the whole notion of crossovers for a little while but another person that i feel like kind of embraced some of those crossovers in the 90s a little bit was my cousin ja my other co-host on this program he at the very least was a huge huge fan of what particular crossover in the 90s well, I think when you're talking crossovers, you start with what I consider to be the gold standard, which is the Valiant Unity series, which really put Valiant comics on the map. Before that, they had been sort of underground a bit. Some people were buying Magnus, some people were buying Solar, but I think that worked because it was such a small universe, and they played chess very well up until that point to develop this. So it was almost like a coming out party for Valiant and the Valiant universe. It doesn't work so well when it's 
a much more messy universe like what Marvel has or DC has. And you get writers who are trying to shoehorn their own ideas in. And they've got unfortunate comic book realities they have to deal with or not deal with. As we'll see in the review today, they just decide to redo things. Because, <laughs> no, just the heck of it. So I thought Unity worked really well. Something that they were unable to emulate when later they tried the image valued crossover Deathmate. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring that up because I I remember at the time they were going to be like, boy, this is going to be the biggest thing since Unity. And it was, it reminded me a lot of like things like Maximum Carnage mm, and other yeah. kind of events that were just there just to sell books. We're going to take a story that should have been maybe two, three issues tops but we're gonna drag it out we're gonna stretch stretch that thing sucker out as far as it'll go so that you can get like 14 issues out of it yeah and that's a good point to bring up when you're comparing spider-man crossover experiences you have something like craven's last hunt which was one creative team and that spanned amazing spider-man web of spider-man spectacular spider-man but since it was such a huge deal they made it take over all the books for two months and that was awesome. And then there was Maximum Carnage, which is a 14-part story with just as many creative teams, just as many characters tossed in, and that was total garbage. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 one question I wanted to have, because again, on today's program, we're going to be reading a particular crossover in Ten of Swords, which has... I want to say very strict creative control in a certain respect, just because it's Jonathan Hickman being the architect of this entire X universe right now. And I will say to, to J.A.'s point, the reason why Unity works so well is because they had Jim Shooter as the editor-in-chief. And if you know anything about Jim Shooter, he runs a really tight ship on that narrative. And basically laying out the entire 14-issue storyline, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for other folks to interject like, yeah, we're going to do this side thing. There was still some of that happening. I remember in like with the Shadow Man book, shacking up with some future lady and before he found out that he was supposed to. Anyways, that's, we're, we're not doing uh, Unity on today's program. But do crossovers work better when you have somebody that has very, very strict creative control over the entire process, the entire story? Chad? Yeah, I believe that to be true. Whether it is one person steering the ship or whether it is... I think of things like DC's uh, 52 experience, where they had a core of writers together working together on one big story. As long as it's a focused thing, but I think when you branch off too far into too many other things and too many cooks in the kitchen, that's when they tend to get more messed up. I also want to point out, I, I think we, we were remiss in not mentioning that Marvel also had a go with crossovers with their annuals. Yeah. For a long time. They used to, like, I remember uh, Atlantis Attacks Acts of Vengeance. That's what I was thinking. Atlantis Evolutionary Wars. That they would just run in the annuals when they were trying to flog us all those annuals that nobody ever wanted to buy. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to go out and buy a bunch of annuals for different comic books. But that, that was probably not great forward thinking on Marvel's part. Right, right. But I will pick up the, the random $1 Spider-Man book to finish the whole run of an Infinity Wars series. I'm not going to go buy a $3.50 annual just so I have one chapter of Atlantis Attacks. <laughs> It is nice, though. You can get now those in uh, omnibus, as you as you've mentioned. You love those omnibuses. You, I have both the uh, Acts of Vengeance omnibus, which is enormous, and I also have Atlantis Attacks and uh, Evolutionary War. And it's kind of neat to sit down and read those all in one sitting nowadays. But Are you sure I, you don't feel bad about that? <laughs> Like I do. I nice them. omnibuses, and then inside it's Atlantis attacks. <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll talk more about uh, crossovers right after this commercial break. Again, we're going to get in to our first crossover event here in the Last Comic Shop with Ten of Swords by Jonathan Hickman and a bunch of other people. So stay tuned right after these messages. Interruption in progress. Now hijacking into ANS 2.0 Immersion Rig. Now simulating the amazing nerd show. Featuring comics. <laughs> and 
Batman's like, you're safe here and everything, but the Joker all of a sudden pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Movies. People fight with lightsabers. What the hell do you want? I mean, you're every. I mean, in every one of these movies, there's a lightsaber battle. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm gonna rewatch it a million times. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> Give me something more. Wrestling. That would be awesome. Oh my god. Just a monster. <laughs> Fans would be like, holy, what the hell's going on? What happened to Jericho? Horror. It starts off like any other like home invasion type of story, and then it just goes crazy. And more. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And we are the Amazing Nerd Show. Make sure to download us on all your favorite podcast platforms. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. And on today's program, we're going to be doing, again, the first of our crossover events. Maybe we'll never do one of these again. I don't know. If Chad has his way, probably not. Because he was not a fan of this experience. I was not a happy Chad this week. (laughs) No, he was not. I think, like, day two into this read, he (laughs) was sending me just some some awful gifts. (laughs) People puking and just being miserable and i was just like it's not that bad it is 10 of swords by jonathan hickman primarily at least for the x-men issues he is the grand architect of what's been going on with the x universe at marvel for at least the last year and a half to two years but chad there was a ton of other folks involved with this crossover because there was other folks working on all the other books like marauders and excalibur and everything can you give us at least a quick rundown of the major players so this crossover was 22 parts not counting the lead-in issue. And uh, so it ran through Excalibur, X-Men, Marauders, X of Swords, which had two or three books in there with creation, stasis, and destruction. Uh, X-Factor, Wolverine, and Hellions. Uh, I think I got them all, but you've got uh, Teeny Howard uh, writing... In addition to Jerry Duggan, uh, Benjamin Percy, Zeb Wells, and Ed Brisson served some of the writing duties. On the art across the board, you have people like uh, Lionel Yu, Marcus Toe, Teo Loli, Carmen Cardano, Rod Reese, Phil Noto, R.B. Silva, some guy named Bogdanovich. There, there's so many. There's yeah, that's too many fine. people. No, I think I think that's that's a good like subsection of the total amount of folks that worked on this particular project. I, I apologize, would... colorists, editors, anyone else. People bringing coffee, uh, bus boys, uh, oh. neighborhood watch. I kind of hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> The one question I did have to ask for both of you, though, because uh, both you and J.A. are big fans of art in comic books. Was there a particular artist that you liked more than others, given the huge swath of kind of styles that you had to pick from in this? Uh, For me personally, I I remember looking at some of the Wolverine issues. I think it was Victor Bogdanovich drew those. And he really reminded me of a lot of the fun of the 90s image artists. And I've been on that kick recently where I've been reading a lot of Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane stuff. And it just seemed like his art hearkened back to that. So I really enjoyed those issues. Okay. J.A.? I really loved part seven, the New Mutants one with art by Rob Reese. It really, for me, was a throwback to like, you know, the classic New Mutants issues of early 1980s with just this very painterly style. It almost looked like it had been colored and drawn with watercolors. It was yeah. Just, I really loved that. And, and I really loved that story. In fact, my favorite character throughout this entire 22, 23 issue run was Magic. Yeah, I was it in was love with her the entire time. It was hard not to like magic. It was hard not to like cipher a little bit. I he was another guy that I was a big fan of throughout. And you're right that uh, that particular issue it has a very very Bill Sienkiewicz quality to it, especially with the way that he draws um, Warlock. It just harkens back to those classic days of the New Mutants that we all really love. So kudos to that pick. I, I definitely agree. I think he was my favorite as well. But uh, real quickly, here's your 10 cent synopsis of 22 issues. You know what? I pulled the short straw this week. Uh, you didn't pull it. We, we gave it to you. Mm-hmm. This you is your fault. Your- you deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to give you the greatest 10 cent synopsis that I can come up with. And it really boils it down to a singular notion. I think Wolverine talks about this. It's all about a really powerful, omniscient 
super sorceress lady that wants to desperately bed the original Captain Britain, and she can't do it, so she decides that a lot of folks are going to fight for no apparent reason. And that's your 10 cent synopsis right there. There's a lot of other stuff. Like, you get a lot of information about Apocalypse in this particular story. Like, they tell you who his wife is. They tell you that he has kids. And they were the original horsemen, which you kind of figured out or, or assumed that that was going to be the case. You find out more about Krakoa, this island, and how it was cut in half and thrown in another dimension. And, I don't know, there's armies of hell spawn that are trying to take it over and... At the end of the day, though, it's all about this girl that wants to get in Captain Britain's pants. And he's like, no, I'm married to Megan. And I can't do it, dude. I can't do it. And so she's like, well, I'm going to make everybody's life miserable. I'm going to make everybody fight this sword contest and this battle to the death. And and somehow, 22 issues later, the X-Men reform? That's, I think, the other thing that comes out of this is you get an X-Men again. For those folks that haven't been following along with Hickman's run, the X-Men kind of, quote-unquote, disbanded a little bit. You know, when everybody moved to Krakoa and starting up their island nation, the X-Men were, I don't know, considered too good when you had folks like Sebastian Shaw and Mr. Sinister sitting on Grand Council. And Cyclops is like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not having any of this anymore. We're going to have an X-Men. We're heroes. We're going to go save our people from these extra-dimensional threats, period. And he goes and he takes care of it. Anyways, and now that I've done my job, it's now time for these guys to talk. And we're going to start off with J.A. Because I think he enjoyed this a little bit more than Chad. So, J.A., what are your initial thoughts of Ten of Swords? Yeah, I actually liked it for the most part. Uh, There were a couple of issues that I could have done without. I thought there was a bit of padding. Uh, They could have probably done this in 12 issues. The whole thing kicks off. You get about five issues where you see various characters get their swords. I thought you could have probably condensed some of that because you're not learning a lot about the character. It's just an adventure to go get the sword, but it doesn't move that character forward within their own path. So you get two Wolverine books where he gets a sword, but you don't really learn anything about Wolverine. It doesn't shape Wolverine's future character. That being said, there were some real gems within that that sort of setup period. Uh, I already mentioned the New Mutants issue with Magic and Cypher. I really liked that issue and that training ground and sort of the, the rapport they had. The problems I had with it were that it was too hastily wrapped up. Uh, The conclusion had a bit of deus ex machina to it. I I, I won't give it away for people, but I felt that 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 was a bit unreal. You know, all this buildup means nothing to the end. I was just like, why didn't we just skip to the end? But I will leave those comments for Chad. I'm sure he has a lot to say about (laughs) stuff like that. One thing I will mention, I was glad that Magneto and Professor X kind of were pushed to the side because in this entire Hickman run, they're the two characters I have liked the least. So not having them in a lot of the issues was was a godsend for me. I just was happy. I didn't have to deal with Dick... Professor X. <laughs> One person I wish I had more of. I like, give me more. It's Mr. Sinister. He is just awesome in this book. He's just great. He's flashy. He's doing all these machinations to get things rolling. And at the same time, he's flamboyantly funny. And uh, I, I could have used a lot more Mr. Sinister, the Hellions book, where you see him lead his team on a side mission right it's a story that goes nowhere like they're supposed to go and steal these swords that the bad guys are supposed to use against the x-men in this big fight and it it doesn't go anywhere it's just again mr sinister loses a cape and like he's so pissed off about losing his cape and like havoc's along for the ride which i kind of love because i love havoc and he's just like yeah i don't right hands cut off that doesn't matter His eye taken out so they can cross a bridge. Yeah, off panel even. Or did I just skip that page? I don't know. No, off panel. But those those two issues again, they they don't matter at all to this story. But they are fun. Like you know, it got me interested in saying like maybe I should be reading the Hellions book. Maybe that is a decent book that that can kind of come out of this whole thing. But real quickly, Chad, your thoughts. Okay, so I enjoyed Sinister as Clown Shoes. I thought that was fun. 
the problem for me for this is, and it, it goes all the way back to the beginning with Jonathan Hickman's stuff. I've long said that he writes these epic tales that I'll read the first bit, and if it's good, I'll be like, okay, I'll make sure I check back in in six years when it's done. Because he has so many uh, little tiny you know, bits of minutia and little tiny details that you really need to be focused on to catch. So with that said, uh, previously with Andy, I read uh, Hawks and Pox. Yes, I knew I had enough where I'm like, okay, oh, the X-Men are dicks now. Okay, that's interesting. I'll check in in six years. And then Andy's like, no, we're going to read this 22-page cluster bomb <laughs> or whatever this is. And by the time I got to the third issue, I was doing that thing where the kids that can't read are doing, where they're just looking at the words, and nothing is registering. It's just different characters coming in and all these, oh, look, Apocalypse has a family now, but he's left them, and oh, they're mean. Oh, look how bad they are. Oh, the other world. Yeah, that's a thing I don't care about. And there's 65 million characters. And so... Like, up through the third issue, I was just angry at this story. The stuff written by Hickman, I thought, this man is either a genius or a robot. But he had no humanity in those first issues. And one of my big complaints about the House of X and Powers of Ten was that they had stripped away all consequence for the X-Men. They just regenerate them, and it doesn't matter. And so, I will say... I did actually start to enjoy parts of this once they got into the tournament. I liked how the tournament wasn't just straight-up fights. You know, oh, you have to arm wrestle the guy in the alligator shoes. <laughs> and, you know, and there was, like, like, an eating contest or yeah, something? and those things were fun. And, like, there were moments that I definitely enjoyed and had some fun with. But then at the end of the day, there were things like... And I'll, I'll spoil where Doug gets married to... Nameless characters that all look bay, the same. Bay the Blood Moon. Yeah, whatever. Big Barda. <laughs> Hickman's Doug Mary Sickman's Big Barda. And then all of a sudden they have this relationship where they're in love and she's going to fight for him and he's going to fight for her and all that stuff after a forced marriage like two days ago. <laughs> and it made no sense. <laughs> Just And I, I don't know much about uh, Captain Britain or the Captain Britain Corps. Right. I vaguely remember Quanon and uh, Psylocke, which I, I'm going to make Andy say earlier, and we can count the K sound. <laughs> but there's hundreds of Captain Britons, and there's a Saturn lady with who she's a big deal, but nobody gives a shit. <laughs> she's just there. Thousands of nameless, faceless characters that Hickman may have given names in those big, long text pages, but I was so angry at the, the lack of humanity and the buildup that by the time I got to the parts where those things may have mattered... I was just throwing up middle fingers and saying, no, I hate you. <laughs> and then, because at the end of the day, I don't think this is good storytelling. This is like watching somebody's, like, D&D campaign. And you're just waiting for your turn to roll your little dice and be like, is this going to be over soon? No, it's not. There's 20 more issues to go. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm going to jump in on that. Like, again, I was the guy that was in there for all of the Fantastic Four, all of the Avengers, all of the new Avengers, all the buildup through Infinity and then Secret Wars and everything. So I've gone through this decade-long Hickman process. And so I've sat through one of his campaigns and sure, you know, Secret Wars gave me this some tremendous payoff at the end of the last one with Fantastic Four and the Avengers. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? I I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But with this, boy, was it hard for me not to think that this was watching somebody's D&D &D campaign that was like, all just repeats. It was like doing the exact same campaign another time. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've been here. I've seen like weird alien black robo cyborg creatures come out of some portal and start eating up everybody. You've done that thing, Hickman. You can't do that again and say that it matters. I've seen Machiavellian princesses wielding magic powers and, and trying to destroy universes and setting people apart. You can't do this to me again. Yeah, Hickman. but now he's got X-Men sex camps. <laughs> Jay, you wanted to jump in. I will say that the crossover addressed very early on what was my big problem with House of X, that they can't die. And that, I don't know if we said it, I don't know if we made it overtly clear, 
the whole idea is that when they're in Otherworld, which is where this big tournament is happening, where they're fighting the two sides, if they die, they can't come back. Or they come back all messed up and screwed up. So they can't regenerate with the gold balls and, and all that crap that I really dislike from yeah. House of oh, X Tennis. Will Havoc get his hands back and his eye back again? Uh, well, they can go to the growing tree and don't they just regenerate? Sort of like a, I don't know. I don't so know. F- dumb. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you know what? I want Havoc to wear an eye patch. That would be the badass. I yes. want him to have no hands. He doesn't need them. He shoots out of his chest, right? Like he has that thing in his chest. He doesn't need hands, so don't give him hands. And what do you and, think? And There's no him... way Lorna's going to be satisfied at sex camp if he doesn't have hands. <laughs> Havoc's a survivor, and besides, he's still got a mouth, so he's I fine. Think, I think I have two questions and, and one comment. One thing I really liked is the whole Captain Britain multiple universe, because that... Captain Britain is the nexus for the whole idea of the multiverse. That's where it comes from in Marvel lore and Earth 616 and that the Captain Britain cores go across the multiverse to protect all the different worlds. So I like that idea. My question, though, is and this is just random because I haven't been reading X-Men in a long time. When did Jubilee have a baby dragon? <laughs> and, is, and are they just channeling Game of Thrones? <laughs> Jubilee is one character I don't pay a lot of attention to. I'll be very honest. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, that's been happening in that Excalibur book, I guess, before that. Which is, again, I, I will have this and I will throw this out to you. The other big problem that I had with this particular series was I think the fact that they included this war with for, for saving Krakoa and Krakoa's split into two parts and there's this big hailspawn a- army that Apocalypse's wife has been fighting against. They include that and then all the Captain Britain stuff in the same th- crossover. And I don't think these two ideas meshed at all together. I think that Hickman really would have served this story better if he would have picked one or the other and just was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this story or I'm going to do this story because I feel like he shortchanged both of them and was like peanut butter and pickles. Like they were just jammed together and you're like, here, taste this. It's awful. I can agree with that. I think this would have made a great like mojo story. Remember the mojo stories with the ex babies? That was actually one of the Hickman pages I actually read. Like you, Chad, I started flipping past the Hickman pages, the, the page with lots of text and writing. Oh. But there was one where it was like a, a shot sheet from a TV show and Mojo was leaving his editing remarks on it. Nice as notes. I feel like that this story would have been, worked better if it was just the apocalypse story. I, I didn't like any of the Captain Britain stuff. Every time they started talking about extra dimensional stuff, every time that Saturn girl came on the screen, I was like, I don't care about any of this. I checked out. I was I, the equal but opposite. I hated all the apocalypse stuff. <laughs> Who wants to root for apocalypse? Who wants all these <laughs> nameless, dumb-looking aliens that maybe they'll be awesome by the time the end of the story comes, but for now, they're just annoying, and they all look the same. I agree with the fact that like a lot of those characters were nameless. They didn't really look, but it was like the kind of the way that I felt when I was originally reading Infinity, like the Avengers Infinity, and they brought up what the characters that eventually were in Infinity War, um, like Corvus Glaive and, right. and Eben Maw and all those guys, and you're like, who are these people, and why should I care? And then, lo and behold, they're putting an Avengers movie, and everyone knows exactly who the Approxima Midnight is, and I'm like, oh, yeah. But those are just- some dumb names. <laughs> Corvus Glaive. <laughs> <laughs> no, these were just as bad. You had you had Elbino Thanos. I can't even remember what his name was with the blue armor and his his army of the undead. They don't even deserve names. These <laughs> characters have not yet earned names, and they're not even new versions of other stuff. They're just new bland. Ah! Yeah, totally agree. And for twenty two issues, they had this beautiful setup. There was one of these unnamed characters. Uh, could never lose. That was her mutant power. She can't lose. And they even set it up earlier at the dinner party. Like, well, what happens if you fight Domino? Hmm. And then the last issue, here come the X-Men. There's Domino. I was like, yes, we're finally going to see that. <gasps> no, nothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> How can you have all that set up? They must have had, they must have devoted four or five panels to this idea. 
and 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 no payoff. I was so disappointed. It's a Hickman story. You're gonna have to wait 35 issues, and then it'll pay off. That's true. Just I guess stick with the X Men book. If 50 issues later, you might get like your final payoff issue. You know, but that's the problem with this. Again, like I I don't even get why there's an Excalibur book like included with this. Like the Excalibur book, if you if you've been following that story, it, it originally started off that they were just trying to put a Krakoa gate in the outer world. Like that was the whole deal. Like they were like, yeah, there might be uh, mutants that I think are in what Avalon is. Yeah, we need to put a, a gate there, just like we need to put gates everywhere. But then all of a sudden, it's all about the Captain Britain Corps. It's all about Betsy Braddock. It's all about Gambit and Rogue becoming members of the Captain Britain Corps, which I, I didn't get either. And, and maybe it's because I haven't been reading that book. But and why does Rogue have a full face mask? Is that new? I didn't get that. Is that so she can't kiss anybody? How dumb was that? (laughs) (laughs) There's too much to keep track of, and I don't want to spend my time with a Hickman chart trying to figure out who these people are, who they were, where they're going. Like, I want a compelling story, and, like, right now, with 20 issues of this clump, I, like, I'm not there yet. Well, I will say this. I know that we've been a little bit critical of this. Was there any ideas that did work for you? I mean, I know, Chad, you mentioned that you kind of liked the fact that once they started in the sword fight, there was like an issue where it was just like drinking contests and all kinds of weird stuff. Was there anything else that worked for you? Like just some little diamonds in the rough. The, the, the tournament was really fun. Like, especially when they would do, like, the double-page spreads. And, like, one contest is pushing rocks. And then one contest is eating. One contest, you're swimming against sharks. But even the stuff that I enjoyed, the Araco people, they're up 19 to 6. And then all of a sudden, there's this real cheap moment that, you know, oh, no, it's tied going into the final thing. And it's like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't lie. I kind of like that scene where they, they set Gorgon against uh, basically an entire list of like undead folks or folks that had pledged their allegiance to, again, albino Thanos. And, and so he just like cuts through them until he's just over overtaken at the end. It wasn't a bad conclusion to that story, I, I, at least I thought. And I never liked Gorgon to begin with. So he was <laughs> he was acceptable cannon fodder for me. Yeah, well, nobody in the X-Men universe matters anymore because there's 13 bajillion of them and they all live on Sex Island. Well, one thing's for sure, we aren't going to a Sex Island during our commercial break coming up. No We're going to stay right here at the last comic shop and we'll be right back with our rating of Ten of Swords. And maybe you can guess what we're going to be rating this. I don't know, because I feel like, nah, nah, you'll, you'll be able to guess right after these messages. <laughs> Everybody. Hey, I'm Ashley. And I'm Nagy. We're from Rock Candy Podcast. Kind of like behind the music, except unauthorized and drunk. But come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers. Witty things to talk about. Great hot takes with some hot babes. <laughs> That's subjective, but okay. <laughs> so go find us on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, on, kids! Well, that sounded forced. Is it not? All right, we are back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating, where we assign worth to a particular comic book that somebody worked really, really hard on, and we are going (laughs) to potentially destroy... And just leave nothing in our wake but just ashes and tears. And uh, as always on these particular programs, we uh, like to do this on a one out of four scale. And as always, uh, Jay Scott likes to give us a different way of ranking every single week. So, Jay, what is our one out of four scale this week? Oh, that's easy. One out of four swords. Ooh. <laughs> Nice. Again, another easy sound effect. I appreciate when you throw me a bone like this. A sword is actually very, very fitting. But anyways, uh, I, I, I think I think we're going to start off with Chad. We might as well get all the vitriol out of the way right away. And so, Chad, what is your grade for Ten of Swords? Okay, I hate it. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm going to give this grade, but once again... 
in six years, I reserve the right to go back and say, you know what, this was part of a bigger whole that, you know, is actually pretty awesome. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I like, there's just so much here that lacked humanity and just seemed like, you know, oh, Hickman has plot points he wants to get through and like he's trying to get those across. Like I said earlier, my favorite issues were the the ones not by Jonathan Hickman. You know, give me the the Leah Williams issues, give me the Benjamin Percy issues or the the Ed Brisson issues. Jerry Duggan, those were all a lot more fun and had a lot more heart. And they they reminded me of the X-Men days of old where there wasn't just dire and dour and you know look at all these alien hordes so for this whole experience i'm mad at jonathan hickman i'm mad at andy for recommending it i'm just mad about this whole thing i'm gonna give it one out of four swords one very limp very flimsy doesn't even fit right in the scabbard just one out of four terrible terrible swords (laughs) Okay. J.A., what's your uh, rating for this week? Well, I will admit there are some plot points and there was a bit of padding. Uh, I think we've all kind of gone through some of the issues we had with Hickman and and what he's trying to do with this X-Men story. That being said, I enjoyed the series. I enjoyed a lot of the stories. I really liked Magic, as I said. I thought it should have been a two-panel page almost, where all the X-Men are flying out of the portal to fight at the last issue. X-Men. I thought the art was really great throughout the run, just, you know, regardless of who the artist was and the different styles. I'm actually considering buying this. It's out in a giant-sized hardcover. My man, Jen Mint, just uh, did a video of it and showed it off on his YouTube channel, so uh, we'll put a link in various ways we share this, if you want to go see that. And I give it three. Three swords. Wow. That's oh. uh, interesting. Now, it's You know what? It's not surprising, though, because, I, again, I feel like the X-Men have always been somewhat of your jam to kind of get these big X events. That is a little bit of your bread and butter. I mean, traditionally, historically, you've enjoyed X-Men when they're, you know grandiose and epic and i guess this is what you got from that right yeah totally and the things that i didn't like about hickman he addressed so they can die there is there is something you know to fight for uh which they even allude to which cyclops alludes to in his big rah-rah speech at the end and there wasn't a lot of dick professor x so you know (laughs) win-win for me Okay. Where was Maura McTaggart the entire time? Good question. Yeah, she, she, her, her whole backstory since she came back in House of X Powers of Ten has been very, very confusing to me. Anyways, so I'm kind of glad that they like with Magneto and Professor X. I'm glad that they just kind of glossed over those points. But instead, you get other crazy lady that can remake the entire universe and. You know, again, is the driving force for why the heck we're going through all this. And that's, I think, what we're going to, I'm going to tee up my grade with this. I'm with Chad that I was in this three issues in and saying, why the hell did I recommend this book? I only get a recommendation every couple of weeks because, again, Chad gets them, J.A. gets them. Sometimes we do them because we have events coming out. So I don't get to pick a ton of books. And I picked this one. Why? Because everybody was talking about it on Twitter. Everybody was talking about it all over the comic books place. Like, oh, you got to read Ten of Swords. And I was like, all right, I want to be relevant. I want to be topical. We're going to read this event because it's, again, to J.A.'s point, just came out in hardback. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I was three issues in and I was about to throw it against the wall. I was like, I don't care about any of this. Why are they building a gate to, to this outer world place? Who are these outer world people? I didn't read Captain Britain. I didn't read Excalibur. I don't know anything about this stuff. And I don't want to know anything about this stuff. I've never <laughs> been really much of an X-Men fan. I've told everybody on this show I like the Avengers. I like the Fantastic Four. That's why I had a little bit more of a leash 
with Hickman when it came to his run on Fantastic Four and Avengers. And I still felt that way when we were dealing with Infinity Crossover during those books. I was like, why the heck is any of this happening? And who cares about Evan Maw? That was the same way I felt here. But I won't lie to Chad's point. It's, it did get better once people started getting swords, getting better once they got into the, the tournament. Although I kind of have a counter opinion to Chad, which I didn't like the fact that they just didn't fight. I would have rather just seen them fight because I, at that point I was just like, throw down already. You've built this up. I want to see the fights and actually see who who's better, like X-Men or nameless jabronis. Hopefully it's the X-Men. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to give it a one. I'm going to give it a one because it was messy. I think I, I, think I, heart, I said that earlier in this show that this should have been two crossovers or maybe one crossover and one thing that didn't even have to exist. Nothing with that Saturn, nothing with the Captain Britain Corps, none of that had to happen. I don't know why it was it was shoehorned in here. I don't know why it had to occur. It would have been much better if just Apocalypse wanted to go find the other half of Krakoa and in finding it, he found his lost family and they challenged the X-Men to some battle for all of Krakoa. Doesn't that make more sense? Isn't that a more cohesive narrative than just random blonde lady that wants to get in Captain Britain's pants just saying everybody fight? I think so, because at the end of the day, that was that was what it was all about, because in the last panel, that's what they talk about. She still didn't get Captain Britain. And I'm like... Okay, Hickman, you've made your point. This is what the story was about. And boy, that's why I'm giving it a one. Because it shouldn't have been about that. To to J.A.'s point, there were good things going on here. But it was just messy. The things that should have mattered didn't. The other things that could have mattered didn't. And the emphasis was on the the wrong things in this series. And so, I don't know. I might be jumping off the the Hickman wagon at this point for the X-Men. My my leash might have broke. With this, it's a one for sure. You missed out on, I mean, if they don't set it in the whole sort of Excalibur Britain, Captain Britain thing, then you don't have any reason for it. You challenge me to a duel, sir. <laughs> no, they have a perfect reason to do that. They, they have Apocalypse and Apocalypse's wife, who both have this survival of the fittest mentality. So why can't they just fight about? Who's the better group of mutants to lead Krakoa? Is it the old guard that has been fighting against the Hellspawn for for centuries? Or is it the new X-Men and Apocalypse's new family on Krakoa or whatever? That makes much more sense than like, I don't know, random guy with snivelly mustache selling like things (laughs) at some weird bazaar in the middle of uh, some extra dimensional castle place. None of this. God, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. It was a one. It was a one. I hope other people enjoyed it. And I hope other people enjoy our recommendations. As always on this program, we like to give you other comic books that you can pick up in addition to Ten of Swords. That I mean, again, hopefully you pick that up if you like X-Men and can get behind what J.A.'s talking about. But for the rest of us, we're going to pick these books. And So on these recommendations, we always do a current book, a similar book, and a book out of left field. And we're going to start off with Chad, who has a similar pick for us. Uh, Chad, give me some sort of palate cleanser to wash my mouth out of this. Okay, so my initial pick was just going to be X-Factor. Every time they reboot X-Factor, it's the little X-book that could. Whether you're talking about the the very beginning series that, you know, eventually was Louise and Walt Simonson taking over X-Factor, and that had a great run. Or even when they rebooted it with the Larry Stroman art, which a lot of people didn't like, but I thought was hilarious. Like, that was a great run. And then eventually became the Jamie Madrox X-Factor investigations. That was all great, too. But right now, X-Factor is being written by Leah Williams. And since you guys love magic so much... This is personally related to my X-Factor pick, which is personally related to all this other stuff. Leah Williams has her own little subsection, like little magic universe that she has built. Uh, It started in 2018 with What If Magic Became the Sorcerer Supreme, where she becomes Doctor Strange's apprentice. And then it keeps going uh, in a a one-shot issue that came out in 2020, or Doctor Strange The End. So two books that don't seem like they're related, 
They're done by Leah Williams and Philippe Andrade, and I hope those two continue to pair up every other year or so and add to it. But unlike this 22-issue waste-of-time series that we had to read, there's two issues! You can read them, you can read one issue, or you can read both issues, and you get a satisfying story nonetheless, and they all feature magic, and they're all awesome. So Leah Williams... Uh, writing either X Factor or the What If for the Doctor Strange at the end. Whatever, I don't care. It's all too convoluted. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> all right. Love uh, Larry Stroman's run on X Factor. Yeah, him and Peter David. I couldn't think of the art or the writer. Yeah. And then that led to probably one of my favorite comic books of all time after Stroman left. With uh, it was Joe Quesada's first issue, where the X Men are recovering from. Uh, it was an Extinction Agenda. Yeah, and they have they have the interviews with the Petro Max- Maximoff syndrome and the psychological interviews, and Polaris comes out. She's like, "You want me to look dressed like this?" Just off her outfit for some crazy. Like it was just awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, now we've got Ja. He's going to give us our current pick for this week. Ja, what's our current pick? Yeah, so our current pick is also something similar and and related because it plays into uh, sort of the Hickman X Men. This came out last year. Chip Zdarsky, Terry Dodson uh, art on X-Men plus Fantastic Four. It was a four-issue run. It is the antithesis of what we have just gone through. Just four issues, tight writing, beautiful art, and uh, essentially X-Men come because they want to take Franklin, who's a, who's a mutant, back to Krakoa. And uh, Reed Richards and Sue Richards don't want that to happen. Reed Richards creates this device that blocks the mutant X gene. Dr. Doom gets involved. There's a bunch of Doom bots. There's a nice big fight. Sue Richards is like, you know, mama bear and goes ape crazy and almost destroys everybody. And it all wraps up in four issues. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is a tremendous, tremendous book. And it is one of those ones where as a big fan of uh, Dr. Doom, like... It is a Doctor Doom that you can root for for a long time in that book. Like, he's, like, basically talking down to Professor X and, like, saying, like, no, 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 you can't come here and start bossing me around. I own, like, I'm Latveria. That's my job. If there's one thing that is a negative for it, it does have a lot of dick Professor X, unfortunately. (laughs) Such a dick. I know. Biggest one. Biggest wang in the... uh, Marvel Universe, at least in my opinion. Well, for my pick, it's going to be out of left field this week, and uh, I'm going back to basically a sword fight that happens on a magical alternate plane of existence that actually matters and is actually good. And that is going to be the He-Man Masters of the Universe mini-comic collection omnibus that was put out by Dark Horse Comics. Now, this tome is massive. This book is 1,232 pages long, and it is great from beginning to end. It has basically every single mini-comic that was published from the original 1980s line. In addition, they throw in some great, great extras, stories that were released only uh, with certain toy tie-ins like the power of the evil horde which came with a hordak grizzlor action figure two-pack as well as a great great story called the power of point dread which was originally on a record that you got with the um, point dread and the talon fighter so you get those books you get all of the she-ra mini comics with this you also get four of the issues of the space he-man so even the space he-man you get those four issues um the folks that worked on some of these mini comics it's just it's just incredible uh and you get a lot of really great interviews with some of those folks like stephen grant and gary Cohn and michael halpert and errol uh, mccarthy and larry houston and tim seeley and I wish there was one with Bruce Tim because a lot of folks don't know that Tim uh, did a lot of artwork for some of the later mini comics. You know, the guy that created the Batman, the animated series, he did art for these, these mini comics. So just great, great comic book talents worked on this series. And uh, it even has a mini comic that was never released before in uh, the uh, return to terror Island. 
If you are a fan of Masters of the Universe, you got to pick up this book, especially now that they have the new toys out in Walmarts and Targets. You can get the action figures again. If you've got young kids and you want to introduce them to what they should know about the Masters of the Universe, get them this book. They will read it from beginning to end. I know my kids did. So you mentioned uh, Bruce Tim, but don't forget about the other great artists that worked on those mini comics, dude. You had Alfredo Alcala, you had Mark Teixeira, and all sorts of other names that you know, uh, comic fans of our age like they planted the seeds in those mini comics. They were like, wait, these guys are awesome. Yeah, and I, and I won't lie that they they were some of the first comic books I read as a kid. Without those licensed comic books, oh, me too. I might I might not have become a comic book fan, or, or it might have taken me a lot longer. But they really set the the stage for me enjoying the comic medium. And hopefully we set the stage every single week here at the last comic shop. And thank you so much for joining us for another week of our broadcast. As always, make sure that you follow us at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a fantastic little website where you can get all of our episodes as well as rate, review, and subscribe to any of the number of podcasting platforms that you can find our show every week, such as Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube or a variety of other places and what else can they find at our website uh, ja lots of merch you can get a t-shirt you can get a hoodie you can even get a last comic shop sword (laughs) maybe not (laughs) jay is hoping the one day that we come out with the last comic shop omnibus if we get that like he's putting that one on his (laughs) yes (laughs) he's coming better believe it in between his conans and his uh, infinity gauntlet one he's just gonna be like yep that's my work right there I'm already saving up for the uh, Ten of Swords, Powers of Ten, House of X, three-peat. Yeah. You're not just going to need a shelf to put those on. You're going to need a whole bookcase <laughs> for that story. <laughs> By the way, Jay, are you, is it official? Are you in on this run now? Are you going to be like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm in, like, baby. I'm, I'm set now. Like, I'm going to see how this all plays out. Well, uh, the one thing I will say is uh, about these, you know, sort of big crossover events, uh, the major signposts. So they allow you to kind of come in and come out and not have to read all the in-between stuff. Maybe all the in-between stuff is the good stuff, as Chad would point out. But uh, we'll we'll wait and see. We'll probably you'll have to recommend another big X crossover event for us to read. It'll be 40 issues next time. Well, you could also pick them up at your comic shop while you still have them, because while we are the last comic shop, we're probably not really the last comic shop. You can go to www.comicshoplocator.com to find a shop near you and support those businesses that help us find these things that sometimes I log into the internet and complain about for minutes at a time. (laughs) But get out there, find some good stuff, enjoy it, kids. All right. Well, until next week, folks, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by my co-host, Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And as always, stay safe, stay sheltered, and stay out of sword fights. Because unless you have a big gold balls egg, they might end badly for you. Just like Havoc with no hands anymore. How can they be Captain Britons? They're not even English. You are helpless against my power, X-Men. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.